<laughs> All right. Well, good to see you, Josh. We, we haven't started. We, we decided to wait uh, because it was like five minutes. What's the point in not, you know? I feel honored and privileged that you guys would wait for me. We'll wait as long as we need to, Mr. Josh. Okay. <laughs> for you, buddy. Yeah. It sounds like we're kind of like, um, what's that group of things? I will wait for you. Yeah. Um, I can't think of it. But if you want to see yeah. it, that's cool. <laughs> all right well welcome everybody this is the journey well i'm eric beach joined with josh bogoslavsky and our guest of this week Corey fitzgerald so thank you Corey, for joining us and we're going to get into it in just a minute with your story uh talking about some endurance sport talking about some life stuff and before we do i just wanted to say this is just a treat for me because every time I sit down with a new uh, veteran who we've served or are currently working with in Project Echelon, it just it just hits me in a weird spot in the heart because I never knew that this would become something that it has. It was a dream that it would, that we'd have people like yourself here, that we'd have people riding around the country in our kit. Uh, and five years ago, I didn't think that would happen. And so I'm just humbled in this moment to know that I've got a couple of guys here uh, that that are doing amazing things that are healing their minds and their bodies through something that saved my own life out of necessity. So thank you guys both for being here and uh, let's get into this conversation. So uh, Corey, I just wanted to start with just kind of give me give me a little rundown of your military service and the transition of just getting out of that. Yeah, so my, my story is a little different from your guys' story. Josh, Josh knows my background pretty well. Um, but I was in a New York National Guard unit. I uh, went in in 08, 09. Um, and when I came out of basic, I basically jumped on like every kind of mobilization they had. So whether it was, I think it was Katrina mobilization when that hit the East Coast, um, then, you know, deployment shortly thereafter uh deployed to guantanamo bay which is kind of a different deployment than what you guys did but um 2010 2011 part of 2012 um kind of just different because we were a new york unit and 10 year anniversary of 9 11 so it was high profile we had a lot of media around um i was part of a small detail uh that was in charge of detainee movements and stuff like that so our senior leadership tried to keep us out of the media spotlight a lot and stuff and tried to keep it sheltered and whatnot um i was an e4 uh specialist you know in charge of my own team i was the youngest junior guy in charge of an actual team in my platoon so that was kind of awkward because you know i was taking orders from my senior leadership but also trying to be in command of two or two or three other guys so it was kind of kind of weird dynamic there you know not to say that anybody else has not done that but it was just kind of a weird dynamic of trying to be a leader to my guys but then also try to like being a lower enlisted guy taking orders from somebody else higher too um came home from that and just kind of went about my ways I really wanted to jump on another deployment and I wanted to go to more schools and do this and do that and get into active duty and it, nobody was really listening to me at the time and I was just kind of like talking to a wall with not only my leadership but everybody else who just didn't they they wanted to be home with their families understandable but at the same time I was like hey I'm young I want to keep going like let's move on with this and it just didn't really fizzle out the way I wanted it to and so um ended up just kind of riding out my time and got out um, a little early due to some like working stuff, whatever. And so got my discharge and kind of began life as a civilian, I guess. And that was just really weird. Cause like I said, I, my time in the guard was a little different than most. Cause I was always go, go, go. And people who don't know the guard or reserve side of it, you know, we kind of have a dual role where you have your civilian side and your military side. And you kind of have to like, shut one off to do the other one and then go back and forth so that kind of messes with you a little bit and i like the military side of it and i wanted to keep going but it was just like nobody was assisting me or helping me do that and it was just frustrating 
and I just kind of felt high and dry after that. Um, and then kind of getting into civilian side, I just ended up jumping from job to job and not really knowing what to do. So that's when I kind of hit, kind of hit a dark side of just not knowing. And then seeing my friends come home that were active duty, who I've been real close with and seeing how bad they struggled with PTSD and all that stuff. And me being the person I am, I don't want them to be in pain. I don't wish that they had seen the things they did or been through what they did. And then I started feeling really guilty that I had like abandoned them or I felt really, really ashamed of like my time in the service. Like my time didn't mean anything. Um, and it kind of came to a tipping point afterwards where I got a phone call from one of my friends and you could tell in his voice, like something was really up and I was like, man, what's going on? So I drove over and, you know, he'd been drinking and stuff like that. And I knew him and his girl were going through some bad times and I didn't really know how bad it was because he didn't really say much. He just kind of like knew stuff was going on, just the way he was acting and stuff. And, you know, I came over and we're out in the country and he's got a rifle next to him and it's like what are you doing man like not not cool um <laughs> let's talk about this you know and it just kind of escalated and like he was just getting way out of control and it was just like holy crap like why why is this happening to him he's a good friend of mine like why what can i do to help and you know fist of cuffs later you know, we finally got them settled, but it's just like seeing that and being a part of that and really kind of triggered something in me where it was like, how can I help others? Like, what can I do to, if my time in service didn't mean anything to anybody or anything like that, or, you know, what can I do outside of it to help others? You know, and that's kind of where it trickled into endurance sports cycling finding that niche to help my own personal demons, but then also finding Project Echelon to go along with that kind of yeah. role. Yep. That, that's a, I mean, I love that you said it's a, a unique, different uh, story than, than Josh and mine and, and a lot of people's. And, and I think there's so many elements in your story that I want people to understand there's incredible value in every single veteran's story because every single veteran had a different experience, even, in a combat situation, when you look back at the incident report and you have all the interviews of the people, uh, personally, I went through a firefight that I said lasted three hours, uh, on the radio or whatever the report was, it was actually 35 minutes. So my time perception was completely different. So part of the purpose of this is to get people's stories from the most intense combat gritty war stories you've ever heard to people who left without having those stories, but still had a sense of loss and longing that are in direct conflict with each other with what they wanted to achieve or what they thought was going to bring value to themselves, what was going to solidify their identity in some capacity. So veterans out there that hear your story are empowered directly because you didn't go to the traditional combat roles, but still struggled. And there's still value in, in, in holding up your voice and, and, and still admitting that there was some difficulties there. So going into that, when you're talking to your friend, when this fisticuffs are going up, when you have this confused mental state of, I should have done more, I wish I would have been doing this, and these guys did this, and now he's suffering. When you're reflecting on that, what, what kind of process is going through your mind saying, I look back at this, thank God he's alive. I'm hurting. He's hurting. What, what, when you think about that perspective, you're both hurting, what comes up in you? You know, it's the first thing is like, how did we get to that point in the first place? Like what, how much did we miss? Like how many signs did I miss of his to get to this point? Could we have even prevented to even get to that point? You know, and me personally, I always just wanted someone to listen to me. Like, I wasn't like, just hear me out. Like, I don't need a hotline. I don't need a, like, intervention. Like, just sit down and talk to me. Like, let's shoot the shit. Like, I don't care, you know. 
and for him it was just like i should have stepped up sooner like his girlfriend was not happy i knew that that was causing him stress you know the family dynamic on the other side was not very good so it was just all these little things and it was like man and maybe if i had just gotten to him a little sooner and said hey man like let's get away for a little bit let's go take a trip like let's get away from all this extra stuff and get him out of that scenario for an hour two hours a couple days whatever it is maybe we wouldn't have fizzled to that point and we could have worked it out a little quicker you know luckily like you said he's still alive and like he's good now but like that time and place it was not it had gotten to a point that was extremely serious and i don't know what would have happened if i didn't get there in time that's the thing and it's like that shakes me to the core because it's like man i could have lost a good friend over something that you know is very big but also like is preventable in a lot of ways if we can just get to the right things mm -hmm. yeah that's that preventable piece is, is huge too because a lot of what we do with Project Echelon is not intervene when someone has a gun to their head. It's trying to get to people before they even have the gun in their house. Uh, yeah. Not against guns. It's just <laughs> the metaphor. It works <laughs> no. better for my metaphor if I say that it's not yeah. in the house, okay? Deal with it. Mm -hmm. now, <laughs> so when, how do you um, take this uh, experience and learn from it? and not guilt yourself like you're saying things like if i would have if 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 what if i would have went earlier and that's a great way to get into guilt but you don't sound like you're guilting yourself or anything like that negative into so what was what's your process is that something that's developed over time your ability to say this happened don't blame myself but say in the future this is what i'll look for yeah so i think like the big thing i've learned over the years it took a long time but perspective like you can't be angry all the time. You can't be sad all the time. So like, you have to keep things in perspective. Like we all have our lives going on too, you know? So like, we can't pick up on every little thing everybody else is doing. Um, so just keeping things in that realm of what can you control and control that thing. It's taken a lot of time. I have a therapist now, a cognitive behavioral therapist that has helped me tremendously, especially over the last, year and a half or so talking to and you know and that's one thing we hit on a lot is just keeping keeping things in that realm of reality where you can control this you can control that there's always going to be something you can't control you know control the things that you can you know so i mean i don't know if that answers that or not. no it does <laughs> it's, it's 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 very well said because something I've learned over time is to control the controllables. You know, there's lots of things that you can't control. And I'm curious with, cause you've done endurance, you've done cycling, I think is, was that your, yeah. So yeah. that was something you did before project echelon. Yeah. Yeah. So I basically found, I mean, we all grew up on riding bicycles and whatnot, but I didn't find like cycling until probably 2015 or so 2016. I was in a job that was just really stressful and, my anxiety was just building every day and it got to a point where i was just angry at everybody i hated the job i did i hated my clients i hated i hated everything and anything and it was affecting my relationship with my now wife and i had borrowed a bike from a friend that was like six sizes too big had no idea what was going on went out for a ride and literally flogged myself for like seven miles and was cooked. I couldn't go any further. Like literally got to the first climb. And mind you, this is like an old like 1990 tri-ring Bianchi steel bike, like heavy, whatever. But, and I just loved it. And I loved how exhausted I felt because I could finally sleep. Mm. That was a big thing. Like I exhausted myself to the point where I could finally sleep through the night. And I was like, this is awesome. And then it was just like the domino effect. Like I wanted to, I wanted to train. I wanted to get a new bike. I wanted to race. I wanted to do this. And it was just like anything to like get that adrenaline rush again and to just take my mind off of everything and anything. And like my attitude and my like perspective on things just kind of changed all around. Like I got happier. I wasn't so pissed off all the time. I ended up eventually leaving that job and kind of going down a different career path, but it was just you know, my outlook on things because of the bicycle saved my relationship with my wife. It saved 
you know, what friendships I did have at the time and just, you know, and it also ended some relationships because I got out of toxic things too. That was the other thing. Like it got, it kind of, you know, the perspective part of it was, is there was people in my life that I didn't need in my life at that time that were not helping me in any way. So I can move on from that. And it just kind of gave me that it was just a door opening to a lot of different things. Yeah. Would you say that, um, I know you said, Corey, that like you rode to get your mind off of things, but would you say like there are rides or like when you ride now that like you have conversations with yourself or you might be putting yourself into thought patterns of like healthy lifestyles or like answering tough questions or like kind of opening those boxes, you'd be more worried about opening around other people and things like that and then kind of go through those as well? Yeah, I mean, now you know, years later and cycling, you know, and cycling with you and stuff, it's, yeah, I find myself talking to myself by myself on the bike all the time, just like spewing random thoughts and thinking about things, you know, whether it's family related or like cycling related or, you know, friends and stuff like that. It's just, it, it frees me up to a point where I come back and I just feel like, the weight is lifted off my shoulders and just like my persona changes after I come back from a ride. Like you come back from a ride that you had fun on and stuff and you're just like a totally different person. I think, you know, more, most recently I had been training a lot up until the end of July when I was supposed to come up and race with you, Josh, you know, some unfortunate incidents happened. Um, and I was just burnt out and I was just so, I was so over my bicycle at that point and I've never wanted, and I always told myself like, don't get to a point where you hate riding. Cause like, that's what you need that thing in your life. And I just took, I took like five days off and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a little more time and I'm going to take a little more time. And then I finally got to a point where I was like, all right, I want to ride again. And instead of grabbing my race bike, I grabbed my gravel cross bike and I just like no power meter, no heart rate monitor, no like training data. I just went out and rode. And I went out on this trail I know of that's local and, you know, I love riding off-road and stuff, especially on my cross bike. And it was just like, I got to this point in the woods and I just sat there and I was like, Phew. like sun was peering through the trees. It was like one of those gospel moments you see like in the movies. And it was just like, sat down, had a drink, had a cliff bar, like was just sitting there thinking about, you know, upcoming cross season, stuff that had happened previously. What can I change? And just being like, hey, man, look at where you're at. You're in the middle of nowhere on this gorgeous trail, riding a bicycle with, you know, no responsibilities at that time. But it's just, there's the sense of freedom in that. And it's just kind of, it's just a nice feeling to have that every once in a while where you can have that freedom and fun and just kind of let it out type of deal. So. Yeah, that that's interesting because that freedom and fun is I I have a lot of that because I'm not at a place where I'm elite or gunning for podium positions and you know any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just curious if you know if there's a balance that you have with is that where you're at where you're just like I want to get I want to milk this bike for all that it's worth just for my own health and well-being or is there lofty goals that you have? I think there's both. I, I'm, it's kind of like a split personality thing. Like I have the super competitive side where I want to race every single weekend and I want points and I'm going to cat up and I'm going to do this. And then there's times where I just want to throw on some baggy shorts and a shirt and not be arrow and not look cool and look super goofy and just go ride my gravel bike around and just have fun and just ride. And I think I've found now a balance between like the hardcore racer Corey and like the fun ride Corey because I found cyclocross two years ago and it like kind of changed my perspective on things and I absolutely love the world of cyclocross slash gravel racing it's so much more relaxed than crits and road racing and not that the people are any worse or better or anything like that it's just the the attitude around cross races is so chill and it just brings this aura around it where you just want to be around it more and bike racing in general kind of has that same thing but it's just i don't know cyclocross and gravel racing in general is really kind of brought that about where i can 
have my serious season and then go into my like more fun, relaxed season where I'm not so worried about points or finishing in the top 10 and I can just go ride and have fun and get muddy. I couldn't agree with you more because I see it. <laughs> I side where it's race season and when you're, when you've come up or when you're supposed to come up, it's like you have this plan a through freaking a Z to like protect me or like help me out or whatever it is coming up to upstate New York. And there's like, you know, plan after plan after plan, except for, you know, your diet of, uh, what is it again? You, you always eat, uh, uh, what's the Mexican restaurant you always have to eat at the night? Oh, before? Chipotle! You got to get some Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> I don't know. What helps out your afterburners or something like that. But uh, there's like that, that like that 1800 watt sprint. You got to get some beans and rice in your diet, man. Let that orca fly, baby. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but like, there's this level of seriousness, seriousness to you that like. Even I, there's times where I comprehend it, and I think my family and friends are going to witness that this weekend up in Green Mountain, but, like, you have this whole different oomph to you when it comes to that, and then you kind of, like, I, I saw that transition from, like, that you not being able to come to the race you were supposed to because of a series of unfortunate events, and, like, then you were just, like, you just completely switched off for a minute, but then you kind of, like, refound it through your own way of it not being this serious thing, which a lot of us kind of find solitude in because there's the focus, there's the training, there's the everything like that. But then you kind of like step back and we're able to be like, I'm going to re-fall in love with this thing again and stuff like that, which was really, really cool to see and stuff like that. That, that time off was really key for this season, especially since I really hadn't had a break. And this, to be quite frank, this season has been shit, to be honest with you. It's been bad luck after bad luck. And it's just it hasn't gone the way I saw it or you saw it or Ricky saw it or anybody else who's been helping me along the way it's seen it go. So it's just been, you have so many downfalls along the way and you start beating yourself up and you start questioning yourself and you're like, am I doing everything right? Like, what can I do better? And it, it sometimes just comes down to stupid luck and just fate in itself. And like I said, you can only control so much. And so you control what you can control. Right. I think that that's a lot of it, too. And, you know, I was in a similar, a very similar boat this season, too, as you <laughs> well, uh, both of you have. But um, would you think maybe that this season was kind of like a retest in like finding what you can control versus what you can't and coming to terms with that? Yeah, I mean, especially early season. I mean, I had a really lofty goal of doing really well at Armed Forces. You know, that's that's a big event for the East coast and just for us in general, being a veterans organization at armed forces classic. And it was the first time I was going to meet like Eric Hill and Vogel and Carrie and like all the other guys that were down there. And I was like super pumped. And I just wanted to like, when I put that kid on, there's like a sense of pride that you get. And it's like, you hear him talk in the tour all the time of like, man, when the guy gets the yellow Jersey, there's that extra oomph that they find. And, like, when I put that kid on and I go to a race, like, I want to represent and I want to, like, there's no quit. I don't care if I'm not in shape. Like, I'm going to fight till the bitter end to be in that group and to be relevant in the race. And I was feeling so good going to armed forces. And I had a really nasty crash. And I don't even remember, like, really half of the crash because, I mean, I hit my head so hard. It cracked my helmet wide open and everything. And it was bad, but then I got to meet like Eric and the guys all beat up and stuff like that. And Vogel put on a show that weekend and it was just really cool to be there and witness that. But after that, it was just a series of events that was like, all right, well, there's another crash in a race that I get caught up in and then I get hurt again. And then, you know, my training plan gets messed up and it was like, hang on, wait a minute, slow down. It's one season. Like, it's one season out of many. So you're going to have your bad days. You're, it's, it's inevitable. You're going to have those days. So look on the bright side. Hey, you haven't been training a lot, but you got a top 15. Great. Awesome. Take that as a win. Hey, you haven't ridden your bike in four weeks and you went out and got a top 20. Great. That's awesome. You know, with minimal training at all you know, hey, you stayed upright this race and didn't get caught in a pileup. Great. 
like take it as a win because there's seems to be multitudes of crashes in every race I enter this year. So, you know, and then on top of that, you know, going back to, you know, that revelation in the woods I had recently, it was, man, I just love being out on my bike. Like it's just that freedom we get to enjoy, like to anyone out there listening, questioning whether they want to try cycling or they're scared to maybe try it because they don't know how to get into it or, they're scared of the road itself because the road is an intimidating place to ride with drivers these days, you know, contact one of us. We'll point you in the right direction. We can help you like do what you need to do to find a place to ride. You know, it doesn't have to be road mountain biking is just as cool as road riding, you know, cross riding is awesome. Gravel riding is awesome. There's a lot of different ways to get out there and enjoy it and to feel the feels that we all feel when we're out there. Absolutely. That's when I tell people, you know, we educate people through endurance sport. We say endurance sport because we don't mean road cycling. We don't mean we do it through mountain biking. We do it through running. No, it's, it's, it's endurance sport. So find yours. It's not like I'm going to, I'm a triathlete, you know, and I'm not yeah. going here. Have you, have, have you heard of my dear Lord and savior <laughs> triathlon? You know, like I'm not here to recruit you into my sport. I want you to f- explore your endurance sport and endurance just means something that happens for a long duration of time. It's not like a quick little easy game. It's like hours of dedication that you can process Uh, so when you're talking about finding a new, not a new, but you're pivoting and looking because what your mindset is, you have goals, but you also aren't losing sight. And Josh, I'm curious if you do this too, because you have goals too. I'm curious, is it the, you might change your goal. You might shift where you're pointed, but you never lose that underlying connectivity of the reason I love this, the reason that I can't let this go, the reason this is my journey well that I need to come to to fill my soul is because of the the, the daily practice of, of doing something every day if I need it so that I can balance out the negative thoughts and have some of the dopamine, not just the race. Josh, you want to go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, there's, I think the goals will change, but the underlying reason for the goals and the method of getting to the goals will never change. Um, in the aspect of it being endurance, specifically for me, cycling and Corey as well, um, that I will always change my goals and I've had to change my goals again, similar to Corey this season, you know, I had the very best intentions of performing very well at the New York state championship race and decided to eat a bike lap one going downhill at 37 miles an hour and then get decided to eat two more bikes while I was off of mine. But like at the same time I I did it riding and I didn't do it in any other way, shape or form at the end of the day it took it takes a minute to like kind of like realize that but at the end of the day i'd rather be doing it on two wheels enjoying my life and doing that on a bike which makes me feel the freest and fills my spirit and soul up in ways that nothing else can imagine in the healthiest way possible than the other ways that i could be doing that in a negative aspect yeah 100 percent. i mean the goal like josh said the goal is always going to change like the goals this year are i mean went out the window like first race and it was just switch it to plan B switch it to plan C it was just it's ever changing and so the long term goal for me is still there my five year plan goal whatever you want to call it for cycling is still there so it's like you kind of have the macrocosm microcosm thing going on where it's like i have lofty goals for myself but i have to keep checking myself every so often to say hey listen, you're going to get there. It's just a process, you know, Philly guy, trust the process, you know, like you gotta, you just gotta keep everything in front of you and just keep moving forward. And, you know, there's going to be speed bumps along the way. You just got to tackle them when they get there. So it's, the bike is always going to be there for me regardless. So it's just, Hey, we'll keep this moving and you're going to be happy when you're on your bike. Yeah, I would also say, too, it was really nice to be able to have, like, people like you and Jared and, you know, Brad and some of these other veterans out there that are within Project Echelon or the cycling community that 
you know, we're kind of going through these things and it might not be all of us are going through the same thing together at the exact same time, but we've been through that or we're going through something similar. It might not be on the bike, but it might be something similar within our lives of a life shift change or something like that. And we're able to lean on each other when we need to. Um, and the other people are open and, you know, receiving of that in order to support in any way, shape or form, because they know that either that person is going to be there for them in the future or has been there for them in the past. And I think that that's a really cool feature that Project Echelon has, not just with its pros, but also with its veterans that are supported as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, building on that, it's, you know, I've met so many people within the organization, like Brad down in North Carolina and some of the guys at the local races who are now members of project echelon that i've met and it's just it's cool to see it grow so much but there's just no judgment there like i know i can call josh and talk about the most ridiculous thing and there's no judgment he may bust my butt later about it but it's like hey when i need to talk i need to talk you know and there's a multitude of guys within the organization that i can call and there's literally no judgment there i think there's like this persona or stigma out there where it's like if specifically a grown man wants to talk about his feelings there's kind of like this shutdown thing and some of us just need to talk about stuff and you know that helps tremendously knowing that i have a support system not only within this organization but just in general that i can go to about anything military related bike related life related like doesn't matter i can just go and shoot a message to somebody and they're there to talk Yep. And that's the educate, equip, and power, the empower piece. I think we can quickly assume that the Project Echelon empowerment is through coaching, is through uh, bike grants, it's through equipment, it's through stipends and, and race entry fees and, and all these things. And that certainly factors into empower. But when you cut down to the root of all of it, empower is listening, it's hearing, it's it's common ground, it's commonality, it's a, it's a unified purpose, it's a uniform that we wear. All of these things are really important to veterans and some are very obvious, like the uniform. You know, I was really happy to hear you say that because I, I used to think I was kind of geeky because I'm in my bathroom and I'm like, <laughs> ready to, you know, and I'm like getting my numbers on and I'm like my deployment patch, but it's just six, eight, four on my triceps and stuff. And I'm like, we're ready to go. It's not, it's oh dark 30 and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to gun this thing. You know what I mean? And so like, I get this whole this summoning for one day of all of this training, it culminates into this little fake deployment that I have that I'm going to go and fight the good fight when no one's going to get hurt unless you're Josh and you're riding down a hill, but no one's going to get hurt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but if someone does, it's, it's all good. It's not like, you know, I mean, hopefully it's all good. And it's just, you know, I've gone down on the bike and it's scrape and I'm like, uh, this sucks. But when I was deployed in combat, the downside was real bad real consistently yeah. if it was bad and so it gives us a safe place to get that that en endurance that endorphin that adrenaline rush up and and it sometimes seems silly some of the reasons you know dude even being goofy on a bike and wearing funny shorts like that's that's dope like that's empowerment that's your freedom to be yourself so what am i here to do you know am i here to tell you how you should do it absolutely not we have pros that help you know how to do it but our goal isn't here to tell you what to do and how to do it. CBT, CPT, you know, whatever therapy you need. Like, we're not here to prescribe a therapy or a modality. We're here to empower by supporting you, even if it's not the pro rider, even if it's not me, it's Josh, it's anybody, your peer group who have served. Some have been civilians because it's important to be supported by equals. You know, both of those sides of the people, like, that's the coming together of the bridge of support where it's really welcome home. You know, that's how we welcome you home and see you completely and then just here. So I'm really happy that you mentioned, I think twice now about just, I just want someone to hear me. I don't need to complain or bitch. You know, I'm not here to just be like, tell me I'm right. Just, I need to get this stuff off my chest. And sometimes a lot of times that bike, that endurance sport helps you figure out what you need to get off your chest. Would you say that you've ever walked away from a ride or a training session uh, or been uh, removed from training where you can't, where something bubbles up and that's the reason the bike was the reason you were able to realize that this is what I have to say. And this is what I need. No, I think I just bury myself more on the bike when I get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think for me personally, it's like, 
it's such an outlet for me. If I start thinking about it, it's funny, like I'm a data nerd. If I start thinking about something that really affects me, I can see my heart rate going up on my, on my heart rate monitor. And it's just like, holy crap, that really affects the way I'm performing. And like, I've used that to kind of an advantage at some points to try to like get some extra anger and some extra Watts out on the, on the trainer at some times when I'm really struggling, but you know, there's never been a point where I'm like, I hate the bike so much. I'm never, I'm just going to get off this and walk away because I'm feeling bad. It's, I'm just going to grind it out and I'm going to bury myself even more, you know? And especially now that I have a son, I think that's a big thing is over the last years, like I had my bike set up in the living room over the winter, thanks to Saris and stuff like that with a nice trainer set up. But um, doing the RGT platform stuff, I met a lot of guys through that and racing on that and seeing my son kind of like walk around the living room and like jingle his little cowbell and stuff. It's like, I don't want to sh- like quit in front of him. So there's like that extra motivation for him now that I also have carrying with me where it's like, I need to be kind of a role model for him now, you know, not, not only off the bike, but on the bike where, you know, something to be more proud of too. That's yeah. That's huge because quitting is a big part of the veteran experience, or at least it was for a lot of us. And that when, not even when things get hard, but when there is, there's opposition and there's not met with reception like a positive thing it's it was easy for me at least to quit things and be like well screw it you know i don't need you relationships whatever it was but when you have you know for us endurance sport that thing that you can't quit on it empowers you it's almost like you're working out your body and your mind in the mental perspective you're like developing these muscles to not quit in areas of your life that are personal not saying you have to stay one course but you are more cognitive in saying am I letting go of this thing for the right reason? And the right reason is not because I don't like it and it's not comfortable. (laughs) You know, it's more like, this is like you said, super toxic. I'm going to have to let that go, you know? And without the bike, I don't know if we, the three of us get there. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like, dude, we're like, the bike is never going to do us wrong. We can be upset at our performance on it. We can be upset at a, a crash we had at New York State Championships or whatever, or <laughs> the Armed Forces class, our you know performance you know in a triathlon in you know France or something like that. And we can be upset about that. But at the end of the day, the bike's never going to do us wrong. Period. In the subject, and I think that that's always something for us. It's almost like an anchor in a way for us. Um, an emotional and a mental anchor as much as a physical anchor for us. Is it's just something that roots us back into sanity. It roots us back into clarity and it roots us back into healthy in all three of those aspects as well. Sorry yes. for getting deep there. No, that was real. That was, that was great. You're deep like an anchor. Yeah. Uh, so with... Uh... Not as well as I climb on a bike too. <laughs> deep like an anchor. Hey, you gotta know your place, right? Like, I... <laughs> I'm going to be a sprinter like you, Corey. I am not going to be a goat climbing up the mountain. I just know that's not a reality for me. Uh, although I remember being in France, just struggling up this hill, and there's like casual people not in Ironman France just passing me saying, in their French, whatever, Italian. And I was like, you suck. You're like laughing right now. And I'm just w- blaming mad at God for making mountains so tall. Sure. Being all happy. But transitional objects, I want to hit on that quick, because that's a big thing in healing and moving where you have, um, like, let's say this pen, I acquired this pen during something special, but now I'm not doing it anymore. So I was given this gift. This is a Bic pen. It's like 25 cents. So it's not special, but you get the point. So we have this pen and I carry it with me into my civilian life. And now I have this pen to remind me and anchor me into what once gave me purpose. And so what you're both saying is incredibly important because that anchor, that bike, that endurance sport is with us. And I'm excited for Josh because he's he has it in the military. So he has this beautiful transitional object that he's carrying with him into civilian life someday. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we've all kind of found that because it's the bedrock on which we can move and shake in life and 
I mean, maybe Corey, you're doing it more than any of us right now with, with kind of some of the recent events that you've gone through. Can you talk me through some of the life-shaking stuff? I mean, you don't have to get into detail, but kind of just what's been going on and how has that bike helped you kind of navigate it, if it has? Yeah, so I mean, I think like I was talking to you before we started here and Josh knows the story is, you know, we had our firstborn son during, at the beginning of COVID. And so, you know, lockdowns and, you know, hospital shutdowns and all that stuff. So that was really, really stressful on us. And not only that, he was a NICU baby. So there was that extra stressor of not having a smooth pregnancy, you know. Um, so that weighed a lot on not only me, but more so my wife and trying to just be the rock for her for that that time. Um, you know, and then a couple months later, we moved into a new house and had issues with that. And then, you know, work was stressful and it just compiled into this thing. And the only thing that remained constant through that thing, other than my wife and my kid was the bike, you know, and that was my go-to during that whole time. And there was, my wife will tell you if she hopped on right now, like when I'm on the bike or when I'm having a stressful day and I go for a ride, I'm a totally different person when I come back. So like that coupled with a new therapist that I've been working with for the last year and a half now, you know, and then, you know, obviously the unfortunate race season that I've endured over this year and stuff. It's just, it's compiled a lot. So it's like, I just need that. Like Josh said, it's the bike is always going to be there. It's always going to be the straight and arrow for me. So regardless of how bad things are going an hour out on that bike will change my way and I'll come back with a new clear head. So it's like for you, it might be going for a swim or going for a run or someone else it might be going out, on a boat rowing or something like that, you know, it, there's a different pair of shoes for every person out there. So it's, it's really important to find what comforts you and gets you into that headspace. Cause I know for me, I've come to real, my, like working with my therapist, I've come to learn those triggers when I'm getting super stressed and super anxious. And I'm just on that knife's edge where it's like, I need to get away, you know? that the patience is run out for the day. I need to go out on my bike, like, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Like, let me just go do my thing. When I come back, I'm super happy. You know, I think that's beautiful. And I, I've heard that from many people, uh, where it's that same experience. So I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's coincidence. You know, I think it's, it's a commonality that we all share and so many others share. And so what I want to do is we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to share something, uh, and then I want to have each of you uh, give the opportunity to, to share something you need to share uh, uh, as well before we say goodbye. Uh, but my, my takeaway from this uh, is many, but the one that I want to share is no matter what you did, no matter who you are, trauma is very relative to the person that experienced it. The trauma doesn't have to be great or small because it can't be great or small because it's all in the observer that dictates whether it's great or small. I have a child who skinned their knee for the first time and that was traumatic for them. It was the worst thing physically that happened to them. It is not my job to say, well, I got thrown over a Humvee so you should suck it up, buttercup. Friggin' Josh Bogoslowski took his skin on his hand like a glove. You, so don't get, get up, you know. I'm not going to put that on you. And I'm not going to say that your experience is less than mine and you don't deserve to be in therapy. And people say that and it makes me furious because it's not your job to say that. It's your job to say, am I struggling? Was that traumatic to me? Does it bother me? Am I having nightmares? Am I having anger problems? Do I like the way I am? Do I want to live a better life? That's your job to ask that question and then attack the solutions and search them and find them and dive into them and find the modalities that allow you to do it. That's your job. And all, both of you are doing that. You're figuring out where your triggers lie. You're, you're, you're leaning in the conflict. You're using the bike. You're using therapy perhaps. And you're finding your way through it. You're not doing things to tell people that they are wrong, that my way is the right way. It's only cyclocross. It's only crit racing. It's only what I do that will save you. No, your job is to save your own life. And that's what I did through, through triathlon. It happened to be that. 
I took the power and I saved my life because no one could save it for me unless I opened up and got real honest with whoever was in front of me that was offering me help. That's the only reason that we survive is if we take that stand and say, I'm saving my own life. It just so happens that we do it here through endurance sport. And both of you can say the same story. You saw the sunset, Josh, and you thought it was going to be the last one until you saw, you know, it's beauty and said, I want to make a different choice. Corey, you went and punched a brother in the face <laughs> to make sure that he had made it through that night so he could make the choice for himself. But we have these moments of change. And right now on the bike, we can change it. So I want to say to anyone who's listening, it's not your job to determine if you had it bad enough. It's not your job to determine if you need it more than someone else or someone else needs it more than you. You just need to figure out if you need it. And if you do, get rid of all the excuses as to why you're not doing it and do it. So with that, you guys, uh, is there anything you want to say in closing uh, to piggyback that message, something else that's come up in your head, I want you to have the time before we say goodbye. You know, for me, it's, uh, I think there's this like aura around all military people from the civilian side looking in is that we all saw combat. We all did this. Like they just assume that. And there's a lot of us who maybe didn't see combat, but we still went through stuff, you know, whether you're a medic stateside or, you know, you know, different country or something like that, helping trauma victims or whatever. Don't just assume that we all went through the same path because we didn't and just listen, you know, ask a question, just start a conversation with us. I can't tell you how many times where I've just been at a race and people see the uniform now, the kit that we wear, and they just want to come up and talk. And it's not even about military stuff. It's about bike stuff. Just start a conversation with us. You know, I'm more than happy. If you want to shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, just talk to me. Like, I'm I'm an open book. I'm an open ear. Like, just come say, hey, like, it's cool. Like, I don't mind. So, you know, that's all I wanted. And it took a really long time to find that. And so if I can be that spark for anybody else, like, come find me. Because I think it's cool as hell what Project Echelon has done for me and what it's doing for more veterans and, like I said, it's pretty common now for me to show up at a local races in the area, and it's pretty rare for them not to have somebody come up and talk to me now at them because they're seeing what you guys are doing out there on social media. They're hearing of the name because of, you know, the wins are great, but they're hearing our stories. They're hearing our mission, and people are gravitating and grabbing that. So you we can't lead you to failure. We'll find something for you, you know? So just, just reach out. Yeah, I will say, uh, Corey is one of the most, uh, animated people when it comes to talking on social media, uh, <laughs> be the next bike build he has going on or he has in the same day. But, uh, again, it comes back to, uh, that empowerment and, you know, veterans helping out other veterans or, you know, again, as you said, Eric, it's not just about the stipends or the, you know, the equipment or the gear, or the coaching or anything like that. It's like you legitimately get this fire in your belly when you join this organization. You finally have that aha moment that makes you want to go out and make the world a better place for the sake of making it a better place, not because of like, oh, I'm wearing my Project Echelon, you know, shirt or kit or whatever it is. I got to go do, you know, the Lord's work today and whatever it is to make that happen. It's like, I'm doing this because I legitimately care about my community or my surrounded brothers and sisters or whatever it is. And um, it's just amazing because I had that aha moment in Europe and I just fell in love with the organization, was able to, you know, eventually become a director for the program and stuff like that. Not many people have that opportunity and I'm very grateful for, to have that blessing and stuff like that. But, um, I now see people like Corey, I see people like Jared, I see people like Brad, like stepping up and just helping out other people for the sake of helping them out. And it's so cool to see that experience. And it's very, um, it's very gratifying in like in a non, um, in a non-selfish manner 
uh, to see that and more of a, you know, a culture manner of us, because I believe that our world, specifically our country, needs that cultural shift. And I believe that Project Echelon is doing that in its own way of empowering people to make that cultural shift. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, the other thing I want to say too quickly is that there is a lot of bullshit going on in the world right now for the veteran community. Um, I don't care if you're part of Project Echelon or anything like that. Um, if you're having a hard time, you can reach out to me any freaking time. My phone is on loud all time. Uh, social media. I mean, I'm one of the very few bogus Lofskis out there. Uh, and you could probably find me that way. Uh, or I'm going to just say it 802-372-7472. Call it, text it, whatever you need to do. Um, I will be here to listen. I will be here to talk. I will be here to give you whatever little bit of advice from my experiences that I can give you, but I am here for anyone who needs it that is hurting right now or is confused um, because the world is a better place with those people in it. And I think that's lovely that we have people like you who are willing to put themselves out there. And, and the thing is, is that Josh means it. Uh, he's, he's not someone that's like, I'm going to say my phone number. I'm, I'm going to say something. And then I'm going to be like, God, please, please don't anyone call me. Don't, don't, don't reach out to me. You know, it's not lip service. And part of the reason we wear our stuff out in public and we're proud to do it is because we're hoping people will come up and talk to us because they're part of the organization, because they're a veteran and they've heard what we do. That's one of the reasons we have a race team is because we want to promote it and say, Hey, Hey, we're here. And this is what we do. Like we help, we help you get fit. We help you get a network of support that can have people like Josh that are like, Hey, I'm here to talk. You know, we, we, we. Self, how did I do that? That's amazing. But did someone mute me? Cause they're like, pull me off. Is that that like thing where it's like the hook comes out and it's like, well, jeez. <laughs> well, apparently that I've never had that happen. I better wrap this up. <laughs> well, all I want to say just in case it got deleted was that if you see us out and about in our uniforms, in our shirts, you see the four bars, uh, that means project echelon, echelon and we are friendly. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about sport. We want to talk about, um, the rear derailleur. I don't know, whatever it is. I'm on a, I, I did want to say before I say goodbye, I do blame my bike when I fell over at the stop side. That was definitely the bike's fault. And I got up and I treated it as such. I, so the car saw like, Oh man, there must be something wrong with what are you going to do guys? You know? And then once everybody was gone, I got back up and with my tail tucked under and, and took off. <laughs> but thank you guys. Uh, this is how we tell the story of project echelon. So I'm very grateful that you guys can help me tell the story and until next time journey. Well, my friends. <laughs>